Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Well, 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 I am back. We would have had an episode a little bit earlier, but I came to D.C. for my mother's birthday. It's a big birthday this year. I wanted to make sure I was here to take her to dinner on her birthday and celebrate my mom. You know, my mom's like my bestie. So we have an exciting lineup this week, and I'm biased, obviously, but I'll give you a quick rundown. I want to talk about this Malik Yoba interview that happened with The Root. He got very upset and stormed out. I want to talk about Trump in this impeachment. It's very weird being in L.A. where, and perhaps it's the circles I'm in. I'm sure there are people in L.A. who discuss politics on a regular basis, but literally no one discuss politics around me in LA. So when I come to DC, I get caught up on everything that's happening. Apparently Trump and with whatever's going on with the Ukraine and this talk of impeachment, I'd heard nothing of it until I landed in DC on Thursday. And it had been a leading news story for I think two or three days by then. Hadn't heard a peep. Nothing. I also don't have cable, so I'm not obsessively watching CNN and MSNBC anymore. I just have apps. I have Netflix. I have basic Hulu. I have Amazon Prime. I have stars because I forgot to cancel after the trial. I've got BET Plus because I'm working on a campaign for BET right now. That pretty much covers the basics of entertainment. But that's literally all I watch. I haven't seen the news in forever and a day, and I don't click on CNN or MSNBC sites. So I just be out of it. All I ever talk about is entertainment, some form or fashion, which is exactly what I moved to L.A. for. So I could be immersed in the field that I'm working in. It works. I say all that to say everyone and their mother in D.C. seems to be talking about Trump and this potential impeachment Apparently, the House has enough votes to get rid of him if they want. I'm not excited about it. Not because I wouldn't love to see Trump impeached, but two things. One, an impeachment doesn't necessarily mean he's out of office. If you're around my age, you recall that Clinton actually got impeached, but he didn't leave office. He just got impeached. That's it. Like Clinton served eight years like he he served his full terms. Like nothing happened. So even if Trump is to get impeached by the House, it still has to go to the Senate. And the Senate, which is controlled by the Republicans, which Trump is a Republican, they would have to have the votes to put him out of office. And I just don't see a Republican Senate doing that. So everyone's like, oh, Trump's going to be impeached. It's really empty. Impeachment is very empty. The other part of it is, So many times before this, there's been so much chatter about getting Trump out of office and literally nothing happens. Whatever was supposed to come of the Mueller report, that was supposed to be this bombshell thing. Nothing happened. All the time, people are like, this is going to be the thing that gets him and nothing happens. But even in this situation, he gets impeached. He could be impeached. I think that may actually happen. The House has the votes, they said. But again, It's empty. Nothing's guaranteed to happen. It really depends on the Senate. So all this chatter, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Go back to talking about entertainment until this thing gets to a Senate vote. Then I'll pay attention. Speaking of entertainment, 
I've been watching really good TV lately. I finally got an approved draft of my essay to my agent. We talked about this last time. It took forever in a day. But now that that's off my plate, I can kind of unwind a little bit. I've been watching like a ton of mindless TV. I took my braids out recently and I watched this new show on Epics, E-P-I-X. Anyway, The Godfather of Harlem starring Forrest Whitaker. Really, really, really good. The storyline is Forrest Whitaker as Harlem Kingpin Bumpy Johnson after he returns from an 11-year bid at Alcatraz and wants to take back the streets of Harlem from the Italians. So it's a good premise. It's, I, I was king, I got locked up, and now it's my fight to be king again. Obviously, Forrest Whitaker, I mentioned, Papo from She's Gotta Have It on Netflix. He's in it as one of Forrest Whitaker's henchmen. And I don't know the actor who's playing Malcolm X, but he's doing an amazing job. And then uh, Big Brother Almighty from School Days is playing Adam Clayton Powell. And then Opal from She's Gotta Have It, Nola's girlfriend in season two. She is Bumpy Johnson's wife in the series. She's not just a pretty wife. She's got some edge to her. She's a little bit more like, was it Carmela? Was that her name? From The Sopranos, Tony's wife. There are two episodes on Epics right now, and I watched both of them twice while I was taking my braids out because that's how long it freaking took, plus an hour. Have you been watching Woo Wednesdays? I don't know what the name of the show is. It's the scripted story of how the Wu-Tang Clan got together, mostly focused on RZA, but all the guys are present. It's really, really good. It's smart. I think we're on episode five or six, but the last episode that aired last Wednesday took my breath away. It's been consistently good, and that episode was great. And just as a warning, it will also frustrate the living bejesus out of you. And I'll tell you, just this is not a spoiler. I'll just tell you this one thing. Ghostface, real name is Dennis. Dennis is a drug dealer who does not want to be a rapper. I personally think that Ghostface is one of the best rappers alive. To this day, almost 20 years later, I can quote Supreme Clientele from start to finish. I love Ghostface. For the first six episodes of this show, Ghostface does not want to be a rapper and consistently puts himself in harm's way. He seeks out death and jail. And there's reason for it, but it drives me absolutely batty. In other great TV news, I should disclose again that I'm doing a campaign for BET Plus, but this is not the reason that I'm talking about this show. I heard First Wives Club on BET Plus was good because last episode of Ratchet and Respectable, I was like, hey, if you guys have good TV that you're watching, please let me know. So a bunch of people were like, hey, sis, you should watch First Wives Club. Oh, my God. It's it's so good. It's Jill Scott as a wife in another shitty relationship. And I, I, I say another because I'm thinking of why did I get married? This husband, it's actually Malik Yoba, 
he's equally as bad as the husband from Why Did I Get Married for about the same reason. But in this series, he's the kind of husband that wears sunglasses at night, but has a good tailor. I feel like that should tell you everything you need to know about the character. Also in this series is Sterling K. Brown's real life wife, Ryan. I'm used to just seeing her on the red carpet with him. I didn't know she was also an actress. Her husband ain't shit either. I mean, it's First Wives Club, so you can kind of gather that the husbands ain't too on point. He's a minute man, among other things. And last but not least, there's Michelle Bantu Bantois. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. She's a mom and a breadwinner on the show, kind of like a Miranda from Sex and the City, and her husband does have Steve tendencies. She's married, but they're separated. And the guy who's playing her husband is the cousin manager from Survivor's Remorse. And it took me forever to recognize that dude was the cousin manager because he has on glasses in First Wives Club. Like I kept looking at him the whole first episode and I was like, where I know this man from? Where I know this man from? Where I know this man from? It took me forever to have the aha moment. And then last but not least, I want to talk about hair issues. I did a post last week about the H&M ad with the little black girl with her hair pulled back. And I was not a fan of the image. I suggested that perhaps the child should have been styled. I felt the other girls were. I did understand the point of the shoot was to be messy after school hair. This was the only chocolate, visibly brown child in the shoot. And I suggested that her hair have a little brush put to it and maybe a little finger combing to make her ponytail poof a little more. A lot of people were pissed at that suggestion. So I want to talk a little bit more about that. And I brought in one of my friends, Thambisa Mashaka. We used to work at BET together forever and a million years ago. She is an award-winning creative campaign writer and also the author of Put Your Dreams First, Handle Your Entertainment Business. She put up a Facebook post about her thoughts um, on the H&M ad, and she had similar sentiments to mine. But as a professional in the space, her thoughts extended beyond mine. I wanted to have her point of view on why that H&M photo of the young black girl just didn't hit the mark. So we'll talk about that later in the episode and after a quick word from our sponsors at Ford. Introducing the all-new and totally reimagined 2020 Ford Explorer. It's built for modern exploration, whether venturing across country or simply across town, over various terrains or through rough weather, it's all good. The Ford Explorer is specifically designed for comfort, confidence, and a whole lot of style. Ready to explore more? The 2020 Ford Explorer, the greatest exploration vehicle of all time. Built Ford Proud. So, our friend Malik Yoba. We talked about him last week, about his announcement on social media that he was a heterosexual man who was, his words, trans-attracted. He'd received some heat from that. So, since our last episode, Malik did a sit-down with The Root, and it was a shit show. 
the clip that is circulating heavily on social media is of Malik exploding on the interviewer from The Root. I won't talk about the whole video because everyone didn't see the whole video. The part that most people have seen is the reporter asking him a question about the allegations from the young woman about Malik essentially raping her since she was underage and then asking him about trans women who are who have accused Malik of centering himself in in the trans movement instead of actual trans people. I think that's an accurate way of putting it. Malik explodes. He says that he and the journalist had a four hour conversation about how they were going to approach the interview. Malik clearly feels attacked. The journalist says something about the more you talk, the worse you look, which can't say that as a journalist. I mean, you can, but it's a bad look. And I say that as a journalist of 20 years. Malik flips out. He stops the interview. He removes his microphone. He walks off camera. And once he's visually off camera, you you can hear him just flipping completely out. I mean, he's pissed. He's he's pissed. And many people said that they were like, oh, he's pulling an R. Kelly. This is evidence of his guilt. And I was like, guilt of of what? Of of statutory rape of of I don't understand. Like people say this it was a sign he was guilty, like guilty of what? I'm not really clear because honest to God, what he reacted to was accusations that he was centering himself. Like he may have been upset about the questions about whether he assaulted an underage trans woman or trans girl, I guess at the time. But what he really reacts to is is the question about him centering himself in the movement. I don't know what exactly pissed him off. To my knowledge, at this time, he has not released a statement. But I will say this. As a journalist, your job as a journalist is to represent the point of view of the people who are not in the room. And what you're supposed to do as a good journalist is ask the questions that everyone else would be asking if they had access in the room. Your loyalty is not to the celebrity. Your loyalty is to the viewer or the reader. You are their representative sitting in the chair. That said, if you make an agreement with someone not to discuss something, not to ask a certain question, and that is conditional in order to get access to the person for the interview, then you're supposed to honor that. But I say that, and then I also say this, because it's a nuanced issue. If Malik Yoba didn't want to answer the full scope of questions that people have about his announcement about being attracted to transgender women, then he should just not do interviews. Because that's all people want to talk about right now. The reason people want to interview him right now is not because of his role on First Wives Club on BET+. It's because he made an announcement as a heterosexual man saying that he was attracted to transgendered women and everyone wants to explore that issue. And this trans woman accused him of statutory rape because he had sex with her when she was a kid. That's what everyone wants to interview Malik Yoba about right now. The onus is on the media publication and the onus is also on him. So if they didn't want to abide by the rules that allegedly Malik and his team had put in place, 
then they should have declined the interview. And if Malik Yoba wasn't willing to be completely transparent about issues as it related to his announcement about loving trans trans people, then he shouldn't have done the interview. It's more wrong on the behalf of the media organization because we're bound or we should be bound by a code of ethics. I mean, I went to J school. We have a whole semester long class on what's legal, what's ethical and what's moral when it comes to journalism. If you give someone your word that you're not going to ask them something in order to secure, if you give your, if you give someone your word that you're not going to ask them something or bring up a subject and you do that in order to secure an interview, you need to keep your word. Bottom line. I'm going to talk about hair next, but first let me get in a quick word from two of our sponsors. I know many of you are avid readers, but you don't always have the time to sit with a book. Audible makes it a little easier for you with a good audiobook that you can listen to while you take care of some of your other tasks. On the top of my Audible list right now is a book by my good friend, Chloe Hilliard. We're both NYU alums. We used to be interns together at One World. And when I used to write for The Source way back in the day, Chloe was one of my editors. She's also still a very good friend and a great comedian. She quit her job in journalism to go do comedy. And most people would say something like that and you'd be like, what? But it actually made sense. It worked out great for her. She's doing well. Evidenced by her new book, Fuck Your Diet. (laughs) Literally, that's the title. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, which lets you fill your fall with more stories like Chloe's Fuck Your Diet. Audible is a great sidekick for autumn activities like hiking, running, road tripping, or enjoying downtime outdoors and more. Listen anytime, anywhere, and never lose your spot when you switch devices. Customers download their choices and can access them on their iPhone, Android device, Fire tablet, iPod, or other MP3 player. Membership to Audible includes one free audiobook per month, exclusive sales, and 30% off all regularly priced audiobooks. Right now, you can start listening to Audible with a 30-day free trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals. Visit audible.com slash respectable baddest or text respectable baddest to 500-500. That's R-E-S-P-E-C-T, a bull, baddest, B-A-D-D-E-S-T. If you've been listening for a while, you've heard me mention Daily Harvest. I love me some Daily Harvest. Those smoothies, those harvest bowls, Get me through and hold me over. If you've seen my IG stories, you know which one is my favorite. I love that strawberry one. Put a little dash of almond milk. Mm. Daily Harvest delivers thoughtfully sourced chef-crafted food that is built on fruits and vegetables and can be prepared in less than five minutes. All of Daily Harvest ingredients are sourced and selected for maximum nourishment and peak season flavor. The best part? Daily Harvest single-serving cups are the ultimate grab-and-go meal or snack, so you can get a dose of nourishing fruits and vegetables at any time of day. Each Daily Harvest cup takes one step to prepare with room for customization. Add your favorite milk to a smoothie, I do almond, or heat a harvest bowl and top it with avocado or a fried egg. 
I've actually tried that since the last time I did a daily harvest drop. It's really good. So if you are interested in trying Daily Harvest, you can go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code RESPECTABLE to get three free cups in your first box. That's promo code RESPECTABLE for three free Daily Harvest cups at dailyharvest.com. Once again, dailyharvest.com. Whew. Y'all ready to talk about hair? Folks were mad at me last week. Visceral reactions. Folks were so mad, and not everyone. Dare I say it was like a 50-50 split on who agreed and who didn't. And just for the record, I don't care if you don't agree with me. I encourage disagreement. I love vigorous debate. It's never happened before, but a whole comment section of people being like, yes, D, yes, I agree wholeheartedly, doesn't really make for anything interesting. I don't care if people disagree. I care when you get wild and insult me. I care when you put words in my mouth that I didn't say. That's annoying. Not agreeing with me, I don't need you to agree with me. My ego is not that fragile. It was funny. Last week, folks were like, Oh, Demetria, you're triggered because people always agree with you. And I was like, people always agree with me. Please tell me about this magical, mystical, wonderful day. What did people serve? What energy did they give? What were they wearing? Was champagne served? Because I have no recollection of this day. Please tell me more so I can fill in the gaps of my memory. There's never been a day where I posted anything where there hasn't been someone who just says some wild ish. Nary a birthday, not my wedding day, no big project I've ever worked on, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, in my DMs, like it's a part of my daily life. So people being like, Demetria, you're triggered. Mm, I've been at this a while, like 12 years at this point. It takes a little more than disagreeing with me to trigger me. When I'm triggered, I tell you I'm triggered because I've been to therapy and I process my emotions. That's neither here nor there, though. The hair post, that was just weird. There were people who disagreed. They were just like, I feel like none of the kids were styled and the black girl shouldn't be singled out to be styled. And so I disagree. Got it. Then there were people who were like, you're attacking this child. Never, never would I. Then people were like specifically tagging me, asking me what I thought. And then when I responded, we're like, you're attacking me. And I was like, are there black people pulling white tears on other black people? Can you pull white tears on other black people? Like, how do you ask somebody what they think? And then because they disagree with you, you call them attacking you. Like, huh? I know hair is a sensitive topic. We all have hair issues, self-included. I went natural the first time in... 1995 because I watched a little Kim video and she had a natural if you go back and look at Junior Mafia's first video little Kim is sitting in the back of a limousine with natural hair it's the most bizarre thing she's now the poster child of weaves and wigs and surgery and alterations but her very first video she's completely natural I'd never seen a woman so beautiful in my life next time I went to the salon I had short hair already I had my hairstylist cut my perm out. I remember asking her, how does this girl get her hair like that? And she was like, she don't have nothing in it. And she was like, that's just her hair, how it grows out of her head. And I was like, well, 
do you have to put something in my hair to do that? And she was like, nah, you just wet it. And at the time, it was, you wash your hair, you put conditioner in it, and then you put some brand called Sebastian had this product called Wet. And that's what I used to put in my hair for the first two years. I was natural to get it to curl up. It'd be crunchy and hard, but the curls were popping. Anyway, I know that there's a lot of issues that people have around hair. Some of the stuff that was said and some of the stuff that was leveled at me, I was like, oh, you're not even talking to me. You're having some like flashback to whoever said whatever to you when you were young and you're taking it out on me. This ain't about me because people were like, you said X, Y, Z about her mother. And I was like, I literally never mentioned the child's mother. I literally have no words for her parents. I don't know what their work schedule is. I don't know however many other children they're managing. I don't know their life. I do know that this child was on set at a photo shoot and that photo shoot most definitely had a stylist. If anyone's responsible for the child's hair, good, bad, or indifferent, it would be a stylist on the on the professional photo shoot she was at when this picture was taken. So words for the mom? What? What? Are you serious right now? Then other people were like, oh, you just don't like 4C hair. Have you seen my hair without product? I mean, I'm 4A and 4B. It's a mix going on in here. You think I'm going to really have my texture hair and then go after 4C? Really? That don't even sound like me, y'all. Stop. And that's where people sort of lost me because at no point did I suggest that this child needed a bunch of product. I specifically said her edges did not need to be laid because quite honestly, the baby hair thing is weird for me. I don't do it. I don't lay my edges. I didn't suggest she get a perm. I didn't suggest anybody put a pressing comb or any heat to the baby's hair. I literally suggested that the black girl have a brush and some finger styling. And then people were like, that's not going to lay down 4C hair. You don't have 4C hair, so you don't get it. No, actually, that was my point. Because if the idea for the shoot, which was conceived in a conference room and they did a mood board for because that's how photo shoots at a professional level are done. You don't just snatch kids off the street and throw them in front of the camera like it's a concept. But okay, the point of the shoot was messy hair. So taking a brush or finger styling her ponytail isn't going to make it pristine. It isn't going to make it slick. But I think it did need to be styled. And that's what I was saying. So people were like, oh, why does she need to be styled? It's an after school shoot. This is what little girl's hair looks like after school. And I say to them that one, to see the child on the playground, her hair like that, kids look crazy when you pick them up from school. It is what it is. I take no issue with that. But on a photo shoot, a photo shoot is not photojournalism. It's a photo shoot. It's on a set. They're lighting you. They're putting you in wardrobe. They're powdering your face down to keep the shine off. The idea that like they're going to take these children funky from after school and throw them in front of a camera and style them in a wardrobe and light them and pose them and have a professional photographer on a set, but no one had their hair touched just doesn't make sense. And let's just say that that did happen, which it didn't. Let's just say that that did happen. That they just took these kids, they styled them in every other way, and they actually just put these kids in front of the camera with no styling whatsoever. 
People were like, you're singling out the black girl to be styled, but you're leaving the other kids alone. And that means you have a problem with the black girl and the black girl's hair. No, I don't care what white people go and do. They're not my standard. I don't think, oh, because white people did it, that means I need to do it exactly the same way. Or white people didn't do it, so that means that we don't need to do it the same way. Nah. I don't care what white kids do or do not do. I don't care what their parents do or do not allow. Black folks got a different standard. And it's okay to have a standard. It's okay to use a brush. It's okay to use your fingers. It's okay to actually style your hair for a photograph that will be distributed internationally. I mean, if you're fine with the photo, so be it. But I said that the girl should have a brush and I said that her hair should be finger styled. Literally the two suggestions that I made. But people were in my comments acting like a brush was a tool of oppression. And I was like, when the hell did black girls stop using brushes? And here's what's equally crazy. I had the time. People are saying crazy-ish. People are acting like a brush is akin to a lie relaxer. I literally took quotes that people said and posted pictures of my natural hair and was like, it was like, yeah, I'm rebuking the tools of the oppressor, such as water, conditioner, gel, and a brush. I literally said what other people were saying. I trolled the fuck out of people because they're saying craziness. And then folks were mad at me for literally saying the same thing they were saying back to them. Y'all gonna act like brushes and water are bad and get mad that somebody makes fun of y'all for it? I posted another picture of my mother doing my hair when I was a kid. She's combing it with a wide tooth comb. And I made fun of it. And I was like, oh, my mother's teaching me self-hate and respectability politics. Because that's what everyone was saying. Oh, you hate yourself. You hate black people. You're practicing respectability politics because you believe in a brush. Really, y'all? Really? I just, I can't. I won't. I shall not. And I'm not sorry about it. I'm not going to say things that I don't believe in or pipe down on things that I'm passionate about just to please my audience because it wouldn't be authentic to me. So if you're mad, I believe in brushes. Well, you know, then you just mad. Anyway, my friend Thimbisa Mashaka, who I mentioned earlier, she had a great post on Facebook that delved into the issues with the H&M ad She's a marketing guru. She's done tons of projects. I mentioned some of them earlier. She'll mention a few more in the interview that I have with her that I'm about to play in a second. Sometimes people just don't receive things well from me because it's me, privileges that I do have or they perceive that I have. So I wanted to explore this issue with, so I wanted to explore this issue with Thimbisa, who has a professional take on this topic and see if we could delve a little deeper beyond the emotions, or the visceral reactions, and look at it through the eyes of a professional. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, campaign and marketing guru, Thimbisa Mashaka. I've been wanting to talk to you as girlfriends just to catch up. In light of this H&M, it's not really a campaign, I guess a photo shoot. I just wanted to hash through some of the issues 
did have similar sentiments on our respective Facebook posts. But I would like to say that since you are a, a huge influencer with millions in reach and hundreds of thousands of people, you know, po- posting, commenting, listening, familiar with you, of course, it's going to feel magnified for you. But on my side, there's just a couple thousand people following me on Facebook, a couple thousand more over on IG. So it's it's been a very um, respectful conversation. I wanted to illuminate it a little bit more for people from the point of view of a person who works on shoots, wrangles talent, produces shoots, um, secures glam squads, and then stands there as the shoot unfolds to make sure that the mission is accomplished. And also to sort of remind people that, hey, this is the shiny, distracting thing that H&M loves to do when it comes to people of color, particularly Black people, particularly dark-skinned Black people. Let's be clear that this is the okie doke. They know it works on Black people, and y'all fell for it again. No, and just for the people who are unfamiliar, you've been conceiving campaigns about Black women since 1998. The miseducation of Lauren Hill to being Mary Jane, those are the ones that pop in my head. What else would people know but not know you were the mastermind behind? In terms of campaigns relating to Black women, certainly Destiny's Child and Beyonce, The Writings on the Wall, Survivor, Dangerously in Love, their, their Christmas album. So there's three Black women, you know, four if you count the four-member personnel from Writings on the Wall. I also wrote two campaigns for Jill Scott. And in terms of, you know, Black women in series, in working with BT Networks, Rebel, rest in peace, John Singleton, the series that he did with us um, on the network a couple of years ago, Black Girls Rock. I've written the campaigns for, for that show for many, many years now, I think since it became televised. I'm not speaking about this from a visceral place of also being a Black woman with natural hair who also has a daughter around the age of model um, who also has locked hair because I could certainly speak from those places, but I'm speaking from a professional place of knowing what goes into a creative endeavor, how much oversight is needed for that endeavor to get budgeted and approved, and then how much it takes for any creative that gets made to go to market. So even if it was made to look like you know, a casual photo shoot, I saw that response they posted up. I don't buy it. But even if it was made to look that way, that doesn't mean it was a cheap shoot. And it doesn't mean that they were just impromptu invited to come up and they just snapped some photos. That's what they wanted to look and feel like. That's the creative agenda of this particular project. So I think that's what is perhaps a disconnect for a lot of people because, I mean, I don't have your experience being on photo shoots, but I used to do like the book covers for BET back in the day and then also Harlequin. I did a million photo shoots when I was at Essence, not necessarily directing them like I was an editor, but I was on set. So I got to see like how this whole thing is done. And I've been the focus of a few photo shoots myself. Just being in that environment, I know all that goes into it. I know the conversations about what is the theme? What is the mood? What is the look? What are the mood boards? Like, this isn't just something that someone says, oh, let's pull in some kids and just throw them in front of a camera and snap some photos. And then that's it. Like, this is very well thought out, deliberate weeks, if not months in the making And for H&M, you're going on an international website, like a ton of money and thought is put into this. 
what we fail to recognize as social media users is that we're getting these uh, images of, from these shoots and campaigns in our feeds. I think it's important to realize that even if the shoot wasn't that expensive, which again, you and I disagree is probably false, the media buy, the marketing spend on this was not small. For people who are not used to being on a photo shoot set, there seems to be a big disconnect with people who say, well, all the kids were messy and all the kids, they showed up after school. And it seems like they did don't get the number of stylists, the number of producers, the number of editors, the photographer. Can you break down for me the, the roles of people on a photo shoot and like what goes into it? All right. So before we talk about the actual physical shoot, there are many layers of um, creative and work and process that get all those people on that team to said location for said shoot. It probably starts with a writer, art, director, pair who are teamed either by an agency of record or by H&M's in-house creative agency. Again, I don't work there. But typically what happens in creative is that a multinational corporation like an H&M will either hire a third-party agency of record to do all of their advertising and creative, but even then they have to approve and sign off on it because it doesn't get made unless they cut the check for it to get made. If they don't use a third party, then they're doing it all in-house and they have their own team of um, creatives who come up with the ideas that we ultimately see, who you know come up with multiple options and versions because we know that certain ideas are not going to get approved, and then who then go through the process of having a creative director, a vice president of brand creative, and then perhaps you know, some sort of chief officer, whether that's of brand or of marketing communications, they all have to be okay with whatever ends up getting shot. So that's part one. That's phase one is the creative actually being vetted, approved, and budgeted. We now know we're going to do a shoot with a bunch of kids. All right, great. The concept is before or after or day of play, whatever it is. So now that we're doing a physical shoot, we're going into physical production. Third-party agency of record or H&M's in-house agency, however they do it, engages a production company. They've hired a line producer to oversee and make sure that the budget is adhered to. Then they've hired a, a physical producer who is then going to make sure that all the moving parts are taken care of on location. So the casting director is engaged, find these kids, to vet these kids, to make sure that they that they are able to work legally, to make sure that their parents are on board, or that they have management or agents or whatever. People got to eat. We got to have craft service on location. We have to engage a lighting crew. We have to engage hair, makeup, wardrobe. We have to engage camera. So we need a director of photography if we're doing live action. And then you're going to have all these post-production people after the shoot happens who then will take the images and make them ready for market, whether that means retouching, color correction, you know, enhancements of any kind, special visual effects. If it's a live action piece, they might want to add sound or voiceover. If it's a static piece, meaning just a photograph, we're now going to be looking at potentially putting graphics on top of or in the image somewhere. There may be illustration involved. Who knows? But that's a lot of damn people. It was not like what you and I would do with our little niece 
with her hair looking messy after somebody picked her up from school. It's not that. By the time we're looking at something like that, it has not only been budgeted and approved, but it's all intentional and everybody's okay with it. Is it at all possible that the girls showed up after school, arrived on set, and had no styling to their hair, no makeup, no for powder, any just the, ba- the very basics? Is that at all possible? Well, I think it is possible. Only because I can't speak to the shoot directly because I wasn't there. And also because when you're dealing with minors, there are certain requests that parents may have that may involve that. So that person's management or that parents, that person's parents may say, this person can be on the shoot, but you cannot put makeup on them. Or if you style them, you can only do X, Y, Z. It's possible. But my sense, because... Demetria, there are other photographs of that same beautiful young girl where her hair is in an afro and she looks 100% better. Agreed. So my sense is that someone paid attention to her. While it may have been a limited amount of attention based on hair, makeup, wardrobe, based on the fact that we've seen more than one look within this shoot, there was attention paid. And my assertion in my Facebook post is that there aren't people with a cultural IQ. This is a term that I learned from Denitria Lewis, someone who has a name very similar to yours, who works in brand marketing. There isn't enough cultural IQ happening so that at some point in this process, someone goes, hey, what you're proposing for the black model? It could be problematic for us once it hits market. That's the kind of comment that I would make regularly in mixed company where I was either the only black person or maybe, you know, one of a few women in these types of meetings on Sony campaigns. Mm. Because I, as a black woman, am going to know intrinsically that certain things are not going to work for a Lauren Hill or for a Destiny's Child or for a Jill Scott. So when, you know, a white male proposes something, they're expecting me to raise my hand or raise my voice and throw a flag on that flag. And that's what I did. You made an excellent point that in other photos that are on the site, the young model's hair actually has been styled. And that would indicate to me that there is, there was some sort of stylist on set for this shoot that did hair for these young girls. And there was a conversation because you don't just run up on a kid and start doing stuff to their hair. You have to have a conversation about what you want to achieve, what look you're going for. At some point they had a conversation about her look in both instances. And I'm saying the second conversation of her in the blue jacket with the profile shot not a productive or positive conversation, conversation, not a thorough conversation, not a thoughtful conversation. And we got to get to why that happens because there aren't enough people at the table representing the best interests of models of color, period. And that comes up in the industry all the time. Like in your post, you mentioned Beth Ann Hardison. You know, she's been a huge advocate of the lack of representation of, of black women, black models on, on runways or in fashion in general, but also the proper care for them. Iman started her makeup lines because every time she showed up, no one ever had anything that matched her face and everything they had made her look ashy. That's literally how we get Iman right. cosmetics. I think 
the benefit of the doubt some, that I think a lot of people are giving to H&M as like, oh, of course, either there was no stylist and it was just the girls showed up and, you know, they just took pictures of them or that people just don't really get what happens on photo shoots. What's wrong with that? All right. So our young, chocolatey, beautiful model with horsey hair just rolls up. There's nobody there to, to, to talk to her about her hair or to help her with her hair or whatever. If that's the case and they still take these pictures, again, no one stopped them from being approved and coming to market. So it's a lot of fails along the way. This is what I'm saying. The other piece that I find interesting is the conversation about onlookers, particularly Black people, having a problem with seeing kinky hair. I feel like we've seen more kinky hair on Black women in the last 10 years than we've seen in the last 100 years in terms of in printed media and visual media. For me, that, that, that was a hard one to sort of get with in terms of, you know, oh, people just hate to force natural state. And I was like, wait, what? But even within that, I feel like this young girl's hair could have been styled messy, quote unquote, with more skill. And that to me gets to not having black hairstylists on set. And some black hairstylists in my thread did echo that sentiment. They said, you know what? They needed a stylist who works with tight textures on that set just for her. So once the hairstylist drops the mic on that, then I'm like, exactly. I'm not crazy. I've had several hairstylists and owners of product product companies and such like in my DMs. It's a very fraught issue. So I think a lot of people don't want to say anything. They don't want to be critical because they don't want the heat. <laughs> I'm fine with that. But I think context really matters a lot for me here because I don't think to use the word um, that you, you quoted from Denitria Lewis, I don't think H&M has the cultural IQ to say, oh, we're going to highlight this little black girl's hair and we're not going to do anything in it because we're trying to showcase the beauty of it. Like you tell me Essence ran that photo, I would think that, okay, they got together and they're making a specific point about the state of black women's hair and accepting your natural self. From H&M, I just see a black girl who showed up on set and no one knew how to do her hair or the hairstylist they had for her wasn't wasn't prompt, wasn't there yet. And so they just sent her out. I see a black girl who wasn't attended to and I'm not okay with that happening to a black child exactly. on set. Correct. Her hair just seemed like it seemed to lack uh, vibrance and moisture and it seemed to lack um, a level of health that, you know, may go beyond her actually coming to set that day. And it would take a professional to actually get up to her hair and really have a look at it and say whether it was damaged or not, or whether it was dry or, you know, undernourished or not. But I definitely felt like from the look of it and what they did in terms of just giving her this hairband and calling it a day, that it just felt like she was, you know, she was an afterthought on that set. When you look at the other girls with the fine textured hair, it's like that intentional, cute, tussled, messy that all white stylists have mastered. That look is a classic look that any white stylist can pull out of their toolbox and accomplish. All those girls had that. Our girl did not. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that um, that very infamous GMA styling session. They had a hairstylist come on. It was maybe like 
three or oh, three or yeah, four white girls and then the black girl and she just did not know what to do with the black girl's hair like she was fine with the white textures or the finer textures because that's what she knew how to do but instead of just saying like i don't know how to work with this hair texture she tried to i guess treat it as she would a finer texture or a white girl's texture and it looked a hot mess and i feel like that may be what happened and, and the model was clearly yeah you know when somebody's messing up your hair whether it's you know whether it's a black hairstylist a white hairstylist you know when they're doing something they're not supposed to be doing right and in a live show context you know she can't she can't make a protestation about that or make a suggestion about that because the cameras are rolling. Yeah. So for that young girl, I got the sense that they could have done more for her in that, in that context. I hope, I hope that she did not feel less valuable and less beautiful in that process. I don't think she or her family deserve any of the negative commentary that they're getting. I think it should all land squarely with HM. Her care and her appearance happened on their watch. What do you say to people who are very vocal saying that not embracing the hair texture as presented in the in the photo with the ponytail? People say that if you don't like that, if you don't accept that, if you're saying as I did, I wish they, you know, somebody had used a brush or, you know, gone in there with some finger styling and popped that ponytail a little bit, even like, you know, brush her back a little bit with your fingers. A little something for her. People say if you don't accept her hair as you saw it in that image, then you're self-hating. You don't really like 4C hair. You're not comfortable being black. You're giving in to white gaze. Like, what is your response when you hear that? It's a binary response. If I feel like more could have been done for her hair in its natural state than, than was done, and I'm not okay with what I see, that somehow that's anti-blackness. I think that that's a really narrow sort of way to perceive this. I think that the suggestions you made are 100% valid. I don't think it's an unreasonable request or standard to have for her hair to be paid attention to beyond what was presented. I'm not okay with the depiction of this girl's hair in its natural state. I don't like the fact that it's close up, that it's this, you know, close up at range profile shot it made me feel disconnected from her. I didn't get to really see her eyes or have visual contact with her. That was distinct to me from the other girls with the fine hair textures. They were all facing the front. She was not. I did not like the fact that her hair was not brushed or that her ponytail had not been styled. I'm not saying you have to slick it down. I'm not saying you need to add chemicals to it, any of that. But it's okay to use a hair care styling tool on 4C textured hair. I mean, African women have been doing this since time immemorial. Why wasn't her hair braided in its natural state and then brought into a ponytail that was then defined? That would have been a style. That would have been a look. What we got was not a look. It was haphazard. It was thoughtless, in my opinion. So I don't say that we're self-hating because... We have an expectation of a baseline standard for how to treat this texture of hair. And once you're spending all that money, if none of it goes into the care of one of your models, just do us a favor and don't cast her. Don't put her through that. Don't try to bring me an image of a chocolatey black girl with forcey hair and then do her like you did. Don't do that. Because your lack of inexperience and your lack of cultural life 
you are going to have her looking like she looked in that picture. And that's what bothered me more than anything was that, like, you did what you were, you quote unquote, supposed to do. Like, you got, like, a range of girls from different ethnicities. We've been complaining for years that there's no representation of chocolate black women, and they definitely need more representation. That's no argument. But it's like you went and got this black girl, and then you ain't do her right like you were supposed to. Exactly. But why are we expecting this from each You're actually giving them a pass based on what we know them to do? Stop it. Stop yeah. shopping there. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about this campaign that you would like to share? We have to stop with the respectability conversation and shift that anger, that ire, that outrage to a corporate responsibility conversation. We need to start holding these multinational corporations accountable for our visual representation. If they want black dollars, then they have to take on hiring black people, hiring people with cultural IQ, and putting them in decision-making places so that these types of fails happen less often. And say, you know what? I have choices. I'm not going to shop at H&M until their cultural IQ is together. You mentioned in your Facebook post, outrage marketing. And it's something I usually think of when it applies to whatever new rapper is about to drop an album. It just seems like there's a theme where they always say something crazy about black women. And then everyone writes about it and then mentions the the title of the new album that drops on XYZ date. (laughs) Can you break down what outrage Mm -hmm. marketing is and why it's effective? Outrage marketing is a particular strategy that is employed typically in a micro-targeting context where they're looking to get to a specific group of people. And they do that by inciting conflict with campaign presentations. They're fully aware of what's going to happen and what's going to take place. It's sort of like a theatrical production in the sense that they know that they're going to release XYZ image. They know that there's going to be some backlash. And then they're going to ride the wave of the media impressions that they get from said backlash without having to invest in actual media time. No matter the tenor of the awareness, just baseline awareness, than they could have ever paid for on a legitimate basis. Outrage marketing is a great way to get bang for a buck you never planned to spend while you, you know, create an engender conflict and chatter about your product or your brand at the same time. And I believe that H&M knows that this is a button they can push without, no matter what we say about it, H&M is in the sentence, in the conversation, and they win. What is the right approach then to outrage marketing? Is it to ignore it? Is it to respond? Is it to boycott? Like, how how should we respond to this? Well, I think that there are a couple of ways to do it. One is to limit the amount of energy you give it. The other piece is respond directly to the corporation. You should write corporate and let them know how you feel. H&M may not care that you wrote something or that you disagreed with their campaign, and that's fine. But you can also log your complaint with the Chamber of Commerce, who is going to be overseeing what retailers, you know, in their jurisdiction are doing and saying to their customers. Those are a few ways to, to approach it. You can also, depending on how far you want to go down the rabbit hole, find out 
who their agencies of record are and lodge a complaint with them. But all of this takes intention and work that people don't want to do. They'd rather spew on social media and comment threads. I suppose you can go on social and do these same things. You can lodge these complaints within their social thread. For me, there's a conflict there because you're still adding to the media impressions. <laughs> so you're kind of like feeding the outrage machine and sort of falling into that trap. But if you do it quietly and privately and you direct your anger at corporate, that's more powerful. Mm. Good to know. Because, you know, I write on my Facebook page and less so on my blog, but on this podcast, I talk about things all the time. And my goal is not just to speak, but to be effective. So that's beneficial to me. Thank you for sharing. Such a super thank you to Thimbisa for lending her time and her expertise to this topic. Greatly appreciate her. Did it add any to your perspective? Let me know what you thought of her insight. So that's all for this week's episode of Ratchet and Respectable. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. If you need a little more ratchet or a little more respectable in your life, In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Demetria L. Lucas. Don't forget that middle L, very important. Next week, or thereabouts, we're on. I'm traveling right now, but I have my microphone with me. So hopefully we will talk soon. Okay, bye.